Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. It's my pleasure to introduce to you Dr. Marion Mass. She's a practicing pediatrician, co-founder of Practicing Physicians of America, and uh, leadership in Free to Care. And uh, Dr. Mass, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for calling me and having me. Well, you, you wrote a, a a very interesting op-ed. Uh, this may have been like a, a week or so ago in the Daily Caller, mm -hmm. uh, talking about uh, uh, ending policies that drive up healthcare costs. And among those policies, and, and you're speaking directly to my antitrust heart here, <laughs> ending consolidations in the healthcare field. And um, and I, you know, I'm I'm one of those unusual conservatives that happen to think that consolidating more and more economic power into fewer and fewer hands is a bad practice. Um, uh, but uh, you know, most of my fellow conservatives are not along with me on this. But it ha this has real world consequences, and especially in healthcare, where you've also got government encroaching at the same time, Doctor Mass. Oh, 100 percent. And uh, you know, if you want to take us back to. Um, an amazing quote that I think demonstrates this. I, I just kind of bumbled upon it today. I just tweeted it out too, like in response to someone. So this comes from the uh, great Milton Friedman and wasn't he a smart cookie? Um, I do not believe it's proper to put the situation as industrialists versus government. On the contrary, one of the reasons I'm in favor of less government is because when you have more government, industrialists take it over and the two together form a coalition against the ordinary worker and the ordinary consumer. I think business is a wonderful institution provided it has face-to-face -face competition in the marketplace and it can't get away with something except by producing a better product at lower cost. Right. Do we just say it all right there in healthcare? It, it, we've been paying more and we've been getting less? Not just in healthcare either. I mean, my, I, my, first, my first real grown-up job was in the defense industry. Back when you had, even when I was there, and consolidations had already started happening at that point, but you'd have maybe six or 10 different companies that could be prime contractors on defense contracts, defense and aerospace. And now you're down to two or three because they bought everything up. My father worked in the space program for 30 years, right? And he gets, his, he gets his pension from a company he never worked for. He gets his pension from Boeing. <laughs> He's never worked for Boeing a day in his life. And he's continuously amused by this that he's that Boeing is paying him his pension but um um I mean this is this is really I think even more acute in the healthcare industry Dr. Mass and you're you're you lay out a lot of this argument uh, in this daily caller op-ed and again the the if you want to find this and I'll have the link up uh in the in the uh in the podcast post it's time to end policies driving higher healthcare costs uh, you talk, you walk through several consolidations that are really just in the last few years. We're not even talking about, well, this is a 40-year trend. This is accelerating these days in large part, I think, because of government pressure uh, and compliance costs. So, well, we could say government pressure. It, different, different reasons for different industries. All right. So let's take the main thing that I talk about in this is the hospital industry and and not even just hospital, but hospital and, um, you know, physician. Because if you look at what has happened to physicians over the last 20 or 30 years, I, I believe about 20 years ago, a third of physicians were um, not independent, were owned by corporations or owned by a hospital. Now 70% of us are owned. I mean, 
owned by owned, I mean, you get your paycheck through right. the hospital and the hospitals themselves have become giant, large conglomerates. And like in many ways, like I remember COVID came along and of course we need hospitals, right? We definitely need hospitals, but there's certainly sucking a lot of money out of the healthcare economy. I mean, if you take a look, um, Free to Care wrote a position paper, and if you look on our free, the number two, and then care website, you can see report. And then if you go underneath that report, um, the very first thing we show are two graphs. And the one graph uh, shows that the you know, if you take the healthcare pie and divide it, and you take all the payers. Now, this, of course, leaves insurance out. But if you take all the payers and you look at what they're paying, your hospital is the largest portion of the pie, but it there's another giant portion of the pie that is doctors and clinics. And now that hospitals own a gigantic portion of doctors and clinics, hospitals, it's where a lot of the money is flowing into. And one of the big arguments over the last several years has been, um, do we enforce some sort of transparency? And, you know, I realize that you know, conservatives and libertarians don't like things forced, but I don't know how else we do it because the hospital industry has, has grown so big. Um, you know, just the other day I tweeted out and it gets back to the Milton Friedman quote. If you look at the top, uh, the top 10 lobby organizations or the top 10 groups that lobby in America, you know, the American hospital is right up there. And, you know, if you're big and you're collecting money, you know, just like Milton Friedman said, you can go and you can lobby and you can say, well, no, we have good reasons to keep our prices secret here. <laughs> it's been a giant battle. Um, when we go back to the Daily Caller um, piece, it talks about the fact that a lot of regulation caused hospitals to buy up practices because it was economically adv advantageous for them. Um, you know, they most Americans don't realize that all of the Medicare um, money that goes out, a hospital gets more. Right. If they it's own a physician practice. Yes. A hospital will get paid more than an individual physician practice. So it incentivizes the hospital to buy up the doctor. And it, you know, doctors kind of close to the end of their career. I mean, one of the things that they might decide to do is, okay, well, I'll sell out my practice. And then practice gets taken over by a hospital. And if once that takeover happens, one week you could have your procedure costing X, and then now you get the added bonus because you get owned by the hospital that's crazy i mean nothing uh, may have changed yeah dr mass i was talking to dr richard Kuby about this about four months ago and he was talking about the two-tier payment system in medicare and how that is incentivizing so it's not always you know government pressure in the form of regulatory pressure but sometimes it's in uh, in, in the form of financial incentives and this is one of the one of the big financial incentives and i think if i remember correctly that um he said it was a 26 percent increase uh, in payments from Medicare to hospital-owned practices as opposed to privately-owned practices. And for no other reason other than it happens to be owned by the hospital. Uh, so it ends up being financially beneficial for people to sell their practices to the hospital because everybody gets more benefit from Medicare. And this is just Medicare, not the other, not, not private insurers. But Medicare is a huge financial incentive for healthcare uh, providers, especially these days, as mm -hmm. more and more Americans are, you know, as we're getting older. Um, now, I would imagine as a pediatrician, you probably don't have quite as much pressure because <laughs> you 
patients probably aren't aren't in that position. But uh, but for, you know, in general, though, I mean, that's one of the big issues that's driving this. And Dr. Kuby was talking about that with us about, like I said, four months ago. And and so I see exactly what what it is that you're talking about. It's a real problem, and it's not making things more efficient. It's actually making things more costly. The same procedures are more expensive because of it. Sure. And now the hospital is perversely incentivized to want to do more procedures or they're perversely incentivized to kind of encourage their, you know, owned physicians to perform more procedures. And, you know, like, actually, if you start getting back and um, I know it was one of the big arguments with Obamacare, everyone talked about, oh, my gosh, the awful death panels and so on and so forth. But when you get to like end of life, like one of the things that I find very sad um, you know, I, I've lost both my parents. I was actually there for the last breath of each. And um, we chose, we willfully chose, you know, hospice and to not do a lot of extraordinary care. But I, I remember so clearly a friend asked me to come and speak to um, her, her father's physician after I lost my father. And she was very apologetic about the whole thing. But Bottom line, it was it was because a hospital employed physician that was pushing for dialysis, and her mother had very clearly stated, you know, he doesn't want this. He wants to come home. He wants to be done, and she was getting pushed and pushed hard. And so now, if if you're a if you look at like the the life of a physician that's owned by a hospital, maybe you're getting pushed to want to do more procedures, to want to extend a life instead of doing really a, a a good and kind thing for your patient or to do less in the way of procedure or less in the way of, of uh, you know, what's what's pulling the dollar into the hospital. So the one of the ideas behind this piece that we wrote or one of the main points of the piece was we, we should have site neutral payments because when you have a hospital incentivized because they get more money from Medicare for doing procedures, the hospital's gonna be incentivized to do more procedures. And we wanna be able to trust our hospitals. I'm not saying that every hospital's doing it, but we wanna be able to tr trust our hospitals and know that the, the care that we're getting is the appropriate care, the needed care. And when you can't do that, it sets up a nasty situation for the patient. Well, it does. And you know, I believe in incentives, right? So I'm a kind of a Milton Friedman guy anyway. I'm a Milton Friedman, you know, um, F.A. Hayek kind of guy, uh, where the incentives are is where the behavior is going to go. And it's, I mean, it's not, doesn't even have to be really a conscious effort. It's just that, oh, they're paying us to do these procedures. We should go ahead and, and feel more comfortable doing these procedures, et cetera, et cetera. It's not, you don't have to assign a malign purpose to that, but that's just the way human beings are. They respond to incentives. And you talk about incentives in different contexts in your op-ed piece here. You're talking about uh, healthcare consolidation. And I think uh, the first example that you give is uh, North Carolina's uh, mission health system that was acquired by HCA Healthcare. Um, in that consolidation, it bought up seven of the region's largest hospitals and 124 physician practices. Now, maybe that's an efficiency thing. Right, but the but the issue becomes, and this is another set of incentives in consolidations, is are you really getting a variety of options when you're looking for healthcare, or are you just really getting 124 flavors of the same thing now because they are all owned by the same company? 
Oh, 100%. So what you're talking about is choice. Right. So when you have you have no choice, it's all HCA. And by the way, like, you know, think about that, like seven hospitals, 100. I mean, I forget how many hospitals HCA owns. Um, and HCA is a for-profit hospital system. But, um, you know, they they too certainly, you know, sucked away a lot of government help. It was astounding. I believe they took in $6 billion during um, the uh, the money to keep everything going during the pandemic. I know they pledged to give back the $6 billion. I don't know if they did. But uh, <laughs> it's hard to know. And like, Do you think anybody's that- asking? <laughs> I don't know. But, man, I found it fascinating because one of the very little known facts about HCA, you're going to learn about an industry very few people know about. I mean, and I, I bet my bottom dollar you've heard of. PBMs, pharmacy benefit managers, right? Oh, yes, yeah, absolutely, oh, yes. Yeah, I could talk all day about those dudes, but I mean, we won't. I tr- I'll try to keep myself back. But one of the one of the little known facts to Americans, so they they they've learned that like um, PBMs are the middlemen for their prescription pharmaceuticals, but hospitals have their own set of middlemen called GPOs, group purchasing organizations. Fascinating thing about PBMs and GPOs, and it it goes back to where I said that like, you know. Um, I think I said this on this on this podcast already, but the government will often give certain benefits to certain uh, large corporations. And uh, we're going to have to edit this part out. I'm about to cough. I'm sorry. <laughs> or maybe you can keep it in and keep it real because, you know, it's fine. we'll keep it in. We'll keep it in. We'll keep it real. I, I it's it's not a problem. So. So, yeah, the, the PDMs and the GPOs um, benefit. They were given. Yes. Yeah. Well, they were given an incredible government benefit. Uh, Congress, you know, gave it to them in a bill in 87 for the GPOs, the purchasing organizations that control all the flow of all of the products into the hospitals. They gave them the right to accept legalized kickbacks and not get prosecuted. Astounding. I mean, imagine if you had the right to receive kickbacks. It gets back to our Milton Friedman quote. You know, you don't, you, what you really have is you have little corporate, you have like a, a great relationship between a corporation that's not so little and the government and then the little guys left in the dust. Uh, And then in 2003, uh, the government gave the PBMs the right to receive kickbacks. These corporations are the only ones that I know that have the right to accept legalized kickbacks. Now I'm going to get back to why I talked about HCA. They own one of the largest GPOs in the country. So what do you think happened during the pandemic? I mean, if, and I got it early on, you know, people are a little anxious. You have to check you know, COVID testing, all that other stuff, but they were perversely incentivized to test, test, test. And, you know, the other thing that I'll point out is one of our, you know, uh, big COVID cures, so to call that remdesivir drug that was owned by Gilead. Yes. It has to be, that drug has to be given in a hospital. So all the tests that are getting into hospitals and the drug remdesivir that's getting into hospitals and all of the products needed because remdesivir is an IV drug, you know, like the IV tubing and all that other stuff. Sure. All that stuff gets into the hospitals via contracts that these GPOs write. And the GPOs are selecting which products get into the hospitals. And HCA owns a big GPO. And the GPOs can accept money from all of the manufacturers. So essentially, the manufacturers pay to get their product into the market because yes, they can accept the kickbacks. It's and then they're perverse. Yes, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then if you look at what happened to HCA, I mean, hospitals were losing money. HCA was like 
cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. And like, you can't see it because no one's allowed to see the secret kickback contracts other than HHS OIG. And apparently they've never asked, but one wonders how much money did HCA's group purchasing organization make during the pandemic? And I mean, I guess you can't, you can only say that they were perversely incentivized to choose products that were given in hospital or to choose to do more testing, but the perverse incentive lies there. And then the real problem with the perverse incentive is who's going to trust the hospital if they have this perverse incentive to do more, pick products that might not be the best thing, but just the best thing that money can buy. Terrible. Well, in the case of HCA, and again, it's just sticking with this because it's a great example of what you're talking about here. There's, it's not even really an issue now of whether you can trust HCA. They control 90% of the hospitals in the region in which they operate. You don't have any other choice in, in a lot of cases other than to trust HCA. And I'm sure HCA is doing fine work. I'm not trying to impugn their, their work or their motives. But what I'm saying is that when you have somebody owning 90% of a market because of consolidation, that is a failure to enforce antitrust laws. And it's 100%. a failure. It's a failure on the part of both Democrats and Republicans, really. Um, because, yeah. because Democrats love to see consolidation in the healthcare industry because they want to eventually consolidate it under complete government control. And this is part of the process of getting to that point. And Republicans don't like to interfere with mergers and acquisitions for reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and again. I'm, I'm I'm always mystified by this because they're the same ones that say, well, you know, we don't want smaller government. We don't want we don't want large government. And it's like, well, you know, if you don't want large government, you probably don't want large big business either, especially in really critical areas like healthcare or like communications. Um, and maybe this issue here, the healthcare consolidations, will uh, shake some of that loose. Now, you also talk in your in your piece. Uh, Again, we're speaking with Dr. Marianne Mass at Daily Caller about a, um, um, a, a a bill that the House overwhelmingly passed called the Lower Cost More Transparency Act. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Is is this a first step to addressing the incentives, or do you think it's also a first step to addressing the the, the problem of acquisitions and consolidation? Oh. Uh, hmm. It it helps. I mean, the point that I was trying to really point out in the piece was that this uh, neutral issue, that this bill prevents hospitals from collecting a higher fee for their Medicare patients. So it takes away the perverse incentive. So then hopefully it prevents some of the um, uh, incentive for the hospitals to want to buy up physician practices. So it, it certainly helps. Uh, one of the other things that the bill does is it um, codifies, you know, so it puts it into law, the Trump transparency executive order that came out, I forget which year it was, but like that uh, pushes for hospitals and insurance companies to have to make their prices uh, transparent and machine readable. Um, in other words, like if you made it, said it simply, like the patient would be able to see an EOB you know, like explanation of benefits that happen between hospital and um, insurance company and some testing companies and things like that. They would have to be able to see, they would be able to see an EOB before they got the bill, 
you know, before that, it was a great big mystery. You know, patients would ask, well, how much is it going to cost this hospital? I don't know. Call the hospital. The hospital would say, I'm not sure. And then all of a sudden you get like, surprise, my goodness, this cost way more than we thought it would. So it helps with that uh, particular vein of transparency. There were some other efforts in the bill to put a little bit more transparency on those pharmacy benefit managers that you and I brought up. Uh, That got watered down. The first iteration of this bill was really good. It was done out of energy and commerce. And then there were big fights and ways and means put out their own bill. And they really watered down the sections on insurance transparency and um, also transparency of ownership. The original energy and commerce bill wanted to point out that private equity was buying up a lot of physician practices. And they just wanted a report to go out to make that obvious. For some reason, Ways and Means decided they didn't want that, and then there was a big fight and so on and so forth. First bill out of energy and commerce was far superior, but that's why what you said, you know, this is a bit of a first step. So you're codifying the transparency, and um, you're making things a little more transparent uh, for the PBMs, although that really got watered down, like I said. And then uh, the other thing is is making things site neutral. That was a big, a big step. But, you know, regardless of what you do in Congress, they pass it. And then HHS has so much power. I don't know if people realize this, but one of the problems with the Affordable Care Act was it put so much power in the hands of the head of HHS. Yes. And if you dial back to when uh, 2017 happened and the Republicans had the House, the Senate and the presidency, I mean, if there was a time to repeal the ACA, you would have thought it was then. So, I mean, I, I don't even really, I, I think saying repeal the ACA, you're just starting a food fight. Like when you say it, it's like, it's, it's a slogan. It's a bumper sticker. I mean, you, you yeah, turned be out better. To yes, yes. Because if they didn't do it then, one of their arguments against doing it, like behind the scenes was, well, we want our HHS dude to have, you know, some regulatory power. So he does the right things, you know? So, um, I could see a point to that, though, later, like, because it certainly was under HHS. uh, And I think Alex Azar was an excellent HHS secretary. Um, People can complain and moan all they want that he came from pharma and all that kind of stuff. But Azar really uh, did a lot with transparency. And he did a lot with pharmacy benefit manager um, regulation. Well, deregulation, I would say. Deregulating to the point where those kickbacks that they get to accept, he was passing them on to the patient, which is the best you could do with the HHS, HHS level. But so anyway, point being that no matter what you do in Congress, you still got to watch out because the departments, these you know regulatory departments, will come around and do something completely different. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a big battle on surprise medical billing. And pretty much HHS, Secretary Bixera, just ignored what, what the congressional intent was. I mean, he had a couple hundred congressmen from across the aisle send him a little nasty gram and said, you know, why did you just ignore us? You know, like you did what you wanted. You wrote it into your own rules. I mean, what's the purpose of lawmaking if you have the um, executive branch come along and just change the law that you made? Yeah, I was, trying to, I was trying to raise the flag on, I think it was something at like 400 or so iterations of the secretary shall determine in the ACA um, when it uh, when it was still being voted on in Congress. Uh, yeah. there's, there's there's hundreds of those um, 
uh, in there. It's basically a, a complete power shift from Congress to the agency. And the reason why Becerra can get away with that is because the ACA was written so they could. Uh, in order to get Congress to take control of this, they're going to have to repeal the ACA at some point, or at least heavily uh, amend it. So it removes all of those the secretary shall determine. That, to me, is a is part of a, a, another entirely different uh, topic, related but entirely different topic of the um, growth, uh, the, I would, I would call it the malignant growth of agency law <laughs> in the federal <laughs> government, um, because Congress doesn't do anything anymore, really, in terms of uh, writing laws. They just simply pass the buck to the agencies. This was one of the biggest buck-passing exercises <laughs> by Congress, probably since Woodrow Wilson. Um, and uh, people didn't really understand it at the time. And it doesn't surprise me, uh, Dr. Mass, that you were hearing from people that, well, we don't want to repeal it because we want our guy to have that power. That's the problem. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the problem. It's um, very hard to give up power. I don't know what it is. Yes. Like, Another incentive. Like, <laughs> my youngest is 20. I'm like, I'm happy for them. Get all the power you want. Like, I, I want you to be successful. Do your own thing. I think the mark of a good leader is to let the people under you be able to figure it out. But I had written a piece in uh, 2017 for the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, the fatal flaw of the ACA coverage is not care. And if you go in and you read the hyperlinks on the piece, um, even at that time in 2017, and keep in mind, um, I really think you know, most of the stuff that came out with the ACA, the ACA was passed in 2010, but most of it didn't start to happen until I think about 2014, right? Which of course one could ask. 2013, I think it was fall of 2013. It could have been 2013. Okay, fair. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're away, you're on top of it. But it's very interesting. The first question should be, well, if this is all so important, why are you putting it off? You know, and we yeah. all know why, because they didn't want their guy to look bad. Um, and then because they wanted to get the past point. the next presidential election. That was what it was. Yes. They wanted to get past the next presidential 100%. election. And as soon but, as we were know, past the next presidential yep. election, then it all kicked into then it all kicked into uh, gear. Yes, but it's it was even at that time. So 2013 fall to when I wrote this in the maybe February of 20. 17, there had already been 11,000 pages of regulation written yeah. by HHS based on the ACA. There's probably like, you know, tens of thousands more by now. But, you know, you, you can't put that much power into like a regulatory body like that. It's a mess. And actually, like, I think, you know, that whole little line there, coverage is not care. I mean, people have like just taken those two things to be synonymous that, oh, healthcare means I have coverage, that someone's going to cover it, that someone's going to pay for it. Well, guess what? When someone is paying for something, there's ways that you can manipulate and move the levers to make that something more expensive so that people are making a lot of money. And predictably, you know, since the ACA was passed, you know, hospitals got richer, pharma got richer, insurance sure as heck got richer, PBMs got richer, uh, those GPOs that I mentioned, those purchasing organizations got richer. Generally, Americans got poorer in terms of healthcare. And, you know, right. I mean, and actually, I'll say, I think overall, like if you, I'm, I'm giving out the little shout out to my own profession here. And and I'm not saying that every doctor has got like a halo around them. Me, maybe, right. but not all, right? Okay. <laughs> I'm, willing to, so, I'm willing to stipulate to that. There you go. I, I, I'll stipulate. Uh, well, you know, I'm, the uncomfortable things that most people don't want to say, right? You know, like right. I and I I do it I do it for free. I'm not, you know, I'm 
I'm get paid to be on your show and I don't care because I'd rather see my children and my children's children have a better future. But, you know, um, if you look at like the Medicare physician fee schedule, we keep getting cut. Everyone else is getting raises and we get cut. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a graph that I put up the other day on Twitter. You have to go through my tweets and my replies and stuff. But like we're sort of flat. And if you consider like the cost of running a business, we're way below that. So we're actually taking a cut and they're going to give us or they actually did give us another cut starting in January. And people are trying to put a stop to it. And, you know, like then the media pumps out the stories, those horrible, rich, awful doctors and blah, blah, blah. And like, look, I mean, most of America is suffering, I think, currently economically at, you know, in an epic way. But I have met many a physician that's left medicine because they're like, dude, it's just not worth it. I was just stitching up a, a kid the other day and the father was an oncologist. And he's like, yeah, I practiced for four or five years and then I left for pharmaceutical. I, I really could not, I couldn't pay back my loans. I'm much happier. I don't take call at night, you know, all the rest. I mean, I, I don't think we want to keep on doing this to our physicians because all those corporations are not going to be there in the middle of the night of the hospital when you that's need right. them. That's right. That's right. It's absolutely correct. And that's what you I'm not saying pay us more. I'm just saying don't pay us less. It's a bad yeah. idea. Well, how about just reset the incentives to incentivize people entering the industry, incentivize practices to flourish, incentivize uh, patients to have full price uh, transparency with their physicians and with their hospitals. We can start with just don't let other hospitals buy each other out till you only got one operator uh, for an entire region. That would be, I think, um, something that Congress and the executive branch could do. We're out of time. Uh, uh, Dr. Marianne Mass, do you have a website that people can go to that they can uh, read more yeah. about the work that you're doing? You know, the, the the place I'd refer you to is Free to Care, Free the Number Two and Care, because I think that website was set up for the general public to understand. And for people that are really gung-ho and want a little more, uh, they can go underneath the tab that says report and they can read our position paper that talks about a lot of these things. And yes, I realize it's 97 pages, but a lot of it is annotation. And if you, you know, don't complain to me because if you want to think about how long it takes to read, you don't even want to know how long it takes to write, but I bet you could break it down. And it, I'm told it reads pretty well, but uh, you can go to that free to care and you can see our report and you can follow me on Twitter. Um, I mean, I guess you could look me up on Muckrack because I've been writing since 2017. Um, you know, I'm willing to take it all on. There's nasty PBM middleman. I take it on the AARP, you know, like I have myself yeah. a good time. <laughs> good. So. Well, I, I kind of like the idea of a pediatrician taking on the AARP, just I, just just in terms of symmetry. I, I kind of like that. I kind of like that whole uh, idea there, Dr. Uh, Dr. Mass. By the way, the website is free, the number two, and then care.org, free2care.org. Dr. Mass, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Oh, I'll be happy to come back more and tell you about all the people that have called me a conspiracy theorist and all the big lobbyists that try to take me down. And it's great fun. Good yeah, time. That's, sounds like it. Well, we'll get you back then to talk more about that too. <laughs> 